follow the money. That is potentially the only thing I remember from AP English my senior year of high school. And that lesson from Miss Torin was one of the most important ones that I could have learned through the public education system. It influenced a lot through my life, including my education, my career choice, and just kind of the way I thought post-graduation of high school. A little backstory, <clears throat> I was a uh, gifted student, meaning they put me in special ed classrooms for people that were too bored with traditional school, that scored well on IQ tests, and that were altogether a menace to uh, classroom society. And I always thought that my ambitions to achieve in school were some inherent thing other than um, the probable answer, which was I was really competitive and I wanted to, to do well and some things in school fascinated me. So um, because of that, it it made me not respect the traditional school system. So I did the AP classes, did enough to get Bs and B pluses and A minuses, didn't really care about 100%. I, I would um, look at my inputs as, <clears throat> you know, how do I get acceptable grades with minimal effort? So an efficiency standpoint from an inputs outputs perspective. And the reason I'm giving this backstory is because a lot of that changed um, after learning this lesson. So my AP English teacher, I'm sure taught tons of valuable books that she was supposed to from the curriculum. I just can't remember what they are. And I'll never forget our final project was a paper on a book of our choice. Awesome. Great. Self-directed learning. That's what I love. So naturally, I, as a 17, 18-year-old, was not the most uh, creative of my book choices. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. My grandfather had books all over the house. He had an office, a study a really traditional man cave where he did a lot of his own research and work. Um, and what he gave me was his original paperback copy of a book called Atlas Shrugged. It was printed in 1957. I believe that was around the time that he was finishing up his MBA in Chicago. So at that time, this novel and this author, Ayn Rand, was second most influential literary tome in the uh, American society behind the Bible. And to him, <clears throat> there was this serendipity in giving me the book. I devoured the book because I always looked up to my grandfather and I thought there was probably some worthwhile lessons to learn. So in my, my senior paper, I wrote about societal figures as, de as they were depicted by Ayn Rand and Atlas Shrugged. A lot of philosophy majors go through this rebellious libertarian phase. Some grow out of it. Most most do if they stay in academia. And the ones that go into the private sector and business, they uh, are marked by it for quite some time, maybe forever. But in this paper, I wrote about different archetypes of people that she depicted as characters. There was three negatives I remembered. The looters, moochers, and rotters, the derelicts of society, they didn't add to it. They more or less existed by taking from it. And then she had 
the her- heroes of the story, which were producers, in her words, the ones that were motivated by productive achievement, that were successful in whatever field they <clears throat> decided to partake in, and drove the engine of society forward, making United States post-World War II the greatest place to be and why so many migrants chose to, to move here because the idea of capitalist America at the time was meritocracy existed. And if you did good work, if there was good input inputs, you could pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make a good life for yourself, drive society and humanity forward, get rewarded. But because of these types of characters of producers, it enabled those that could ride in their coattails, if you will, get a freer ride, looters, moochers and rotters. Um, looters, Peep, think about people that rob convenience stores that take advantage of riots. Rotters think of people that absolutely love the government handout system of uh, during COVID when there was more unemployment. Anyone could apply for it and you didn't have to get a job. And moochers, which were people that, you know, the quiet quitting movement, I would categorize them as those types of literary characters is ones that show up to a job and do enough to get by, to get paid and uh, definitely take advantage of working at larger companies. So I guess in Elon Musk's perspective, 80% of Twitter's employees, whether that's true or not, I'm just saying that in the context of this paper, and it was, it was important because I got an A plus on that paper. It was the only perfect paper I wrote in her eyes. I may have gotten a B plus or an A minus like I did most of my classes. I graduated high school with like a 3.3 GPA, which is nothing to be super proud of uh, compared to my accomplished academic brother. But to me, this class stood out and it spurred me in the direction of first wanting to be an English teacher and then in college learning that I could just study full-time literature and philosophy. So this one paper spurred my college major and my academic future. Um... So I want to talk about, at the end of the year, her parting wisdom, her inspiring May, right before graduation speech. (laughs) What I remember of it, at least, was that she smokes cigarettes, that they are bad for you, and she does not care, while she had these coughing fits and bronchitis all the time. And I always thought of the starving artist trope who, uh, think of Charles Bukowski, someone sitting in a bar smoking a cig, just this tortured genius and it's being a gifted kid. There is a huge correlation between mental illness or substance abuse and, uh, IQ on that part of the bell curve for, um, intelligence. So you typically don't see someone who's both incredibly intelligent and incredibly happy. Um, and that was characterized by my teacher. She would often fake being happy because it was her job. And she kind of kept it real at the end was like, Hey, I do this because I'm an English teacher, I'm tenured, like I got great benefits. And the most important lesson in the title of this podcast was follow the money. What did she mean by follow the money? Most teachers tell you with rose-colored lenses, this ideal of the world's your oyster, you can be anything you want to be, go out there and make make the world your own. And she was like, think for yourself, do your own research. She was like, you know, where does the money come from? Where does it go? Um, think about what Wall Street is. This is around the time when Occupy Wall Street was happening. Ron Paul was getting a lot of positive uh, attention at this time. 
She's like, the United States is a business. Everything's a business. We're all uh, connected to the economy. Um, super, super radical for a lesson in English, let alone liberal arts. And <clears throat> I took a couple of things from this lesson. First was do what you want to do regardless of what society tells you uh, as far as negative consequences. Like we put labels of good and bad onto things. They are not inherently so. Um, things are good or bad in relation to our sort of core values for our person. And also usually people do what they're supposed to do to make a living for themselves. So it's much easier to follow orders. It's much easier to do what you're told. It's much easier to follow the money in a sense of what does your boss want you to do? Who are you supposed to be in the terms of being an employee? Uh, and, and know your role and play it well. And it made me think deeper about researching money. And it's funny that a lot of liberal arts professors and professionals don't tell you to do this. And there's probably tons of reasons. One reason maybe because a lot of the money comes from the government, your taxes. Government is good because that is their boss in some instances. Not all, but many teachers, many professors get paid from government grants, from tax money, from, you know, that's technically, the government's technically their boss. That's who signs their paychecks. So I did this progression after college of getting this diploma, calling me a philosopher and an English literature bachelor of arts. And I went from being a starving artist where I worked the most brutal minimum wage type jobs as a temp. Um, I thought $12 an hour doing back busting manual labor was the sweetest gig. Um, I was a failed server I was always, 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 always um, trying to make it as a philosopher and as, as an English literature, as I knew what that meant at the time, which meant I had to study what money meant. So that took me to my next, my next gig, which was a digital marketing specialist. I learned about Alex Becker through research of my own. I learned about the Ty Lopez's of the world, the Charles Floats, the people that were renegade rebel outlaw uh, of society that made their own business and learn how to use technology, digital marketing to create cash flow effective, profitable businesses. And they were the spear's edge of e-learning on how to make money online. So I got, <clears throat> didn't have the confidence, didn't have, didn't have what it took in my own mind and my own heart to make it on my own at this time. So I said, all right, I'm gonna start doing free work, started ranking websites pro bono, and creating a resume and a portfolio that I could bring to employers and job interviews, and I started getting attention, got my first job, crushed crushed that role, and then I got to another job, did really well, started believing in myself, started just to do a career progression. I went from a marketing specialist to a marketing manager, to a strategist, an account manager, customer success, sales. Then I got into operations management on a leadership team of a pretty large marketing agency. And I just started getting closer and closer and closer to the source. So I was following the money of my own 
of my own career. And that meant who were the owners of these businesses? What do they do? How do they get there? How do they think? Really started studying business owners in my 20s. I worked to learn. Worked to learn about money. More importantly, I, I worked to learn about what I thought were wealthy, successful people. And it took me to a place where at the end of my 20s, I felt like I, I put in so much above and beyond work that I could really take the leap of faith and work for myself. And I, start, I learned that the richest people on earth own businesses. It is the investment vehicle that you can become the most successful in the United States. Or so I thought at the time. And I started a PE firm with a finance friend. I learned that owning a business is the most effective way to go from starving artist, dirt poor, to financially well off. And there's countless stories. Alex Becker, for example, was scrubbing toilets in the Air Force and within four years was multimillionaire through sheer self-determination using digital marketing. So I also learned that if you own a business, you don't have to have great looks, great intelligence, great connections. If you want to be in society and successful and you have physical attractiveness, a super special technical skill, or you're well-connected, you know, your, your family knows people, you know people, you have great relationships, that's how you get ahead, in my opinion, oftentimes in corporate life, to be likable, to be super useful, to be super well-endowed and connected. But when you don't have that, you can leverage your work ethic, your resourcefulness, and your determination to make to create something. And that something in in my life has been a portfolio and a business. And Miss Torin, my old English teacher, really rewarded me not when I she knew I feel like she knew. I feel like she saw through me with X ray vision that I was doing so many assignments just to get them done, not because I thought they were valuable, not because I put effort um or or uh, determination or any of my tools that made me successful earlier in my academic career where I breezed through elementary, junior high, and early high school. Like I didn't have the spark. And, and I realized that when you get to pick what you do, when you get to think for yourself, we're so blessed to still be able to do that in the United States, you can bring your whole self to work. You can be rewarded by your work ethic, your resourcefulness, your determination, all of your other positive characteristics. And you, you think for yourself, and that's when you can share your genius with the world, whatever that may be. As a business owner, <clears throat> the goal is to, for me, for me the, the goal as a business owner is to make the people around me, my community, my friends, my family, my customers, my clients, my clients' customers, have a better life experience. Life is inherently difficult and brutal. And I do that through a certain amount of ways. I mean, the the most important way as a business owner that you can grow sustainably is to always, always, always add value. And value really just means making something worth more. So I'm going to go back to a thought about following the money. Right, as a as a PE owner, going from zero in assets under management to over twenty million, you look at all the businesses, and within three years, I'm like, okay, it's a short period of time. 
and in that short period of time working 60 to 80 hours a week, whether that's traveling, whether that's doing meetings, whether that's writing, whether that's analyzing deals, sales, marketing, management, so many different things that I had to do. But the one thing that I kept learning as was reading and researching through podcast books, interviewing people, other business owners, it was just personal development and, and making yourself a business. If you're a business owner, then you yourself are the face of the business. So I'm going to, I'm going to step back. I'm going to look at the lesson my teacher taught me, which is think for yourself and follow the money. In today's climate, it's more important than ever to heed these lessons. To understand that the United States economy is actually quite simple. Private equity owns a ton of the businesses in the United States. When you look up the ladder of businesses, let's use an example very recently. There's a Fox News and CNN News sort of controversy going on where Fox News had fired a content creator, Tucker Carlson, because Tucker was talking for, they didn't say the reason, but there was a lawsuit from Dominion, which is a voting machine company where Tucker may have said that the election was rigged. Okay. That ended up in a settlement with Fox News for hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, Tucker was their primetime content creator. He had a lot of value to the business. He gets fired. Company has to pay out this lawsuit. Their stock goes down. Viewership goes down. CNN then in turn fires one of their primetime people, Don Lemon. Um, and Tucker, for better or worse, well, yes, he brought a lot of eyeballs and viewers to the station. Company that owns Fox News also has ownership interest in Dominion. Like Fox News isn't independently owned by like a, a mom and pop by a private individual. It's, it's a publicly traded company. I mean, they have when you're a publicly traded company, you're at, beholden to your shareholders, and typically. It's very, very often that a few large companies, Vanguards and Blackrocks and of the world own tons and tons of the percentage of, of these companies. So when businesses have a vested interest in paying their shareholders, you'll see seemingly totally different businesses act in a way that's completely aligned with the parent hold company's best interest. Whether or not Tucker Carlson is ethically good or bad or valid or invalid is not what I'm trying to talk about. What I'm saying is it was a business decision because you can't with the with one hand of a business be scolding the other hand of the business. They that's bad for the shareholders, right? So you reduce liabilities and that's why when you're a small business owner in the United States, you have a bit, you have the ultimate freedom if you're privately owned. Um, you pay yourself first and the market dictates your success. If your customers are happy, that dictates your success. If your clients are happy, if their customers are happy, that dictates your success. If you're, if you make more than you spend, if you do what every productive citizen should be doing, which is, you know, taking care of your friends, your community, your family, you're making, you know, making responsible fiscal decisions, tracking your money, being being honest, having these core values that are uncompromising. As a small business, it's typically good. But big business is 
is I'm not saying that it's evil, but what I'm saying is when you follow all the different holdings as a PE firm, you learn there's horizontal synergy, there's vertical synergies, there's all types of ways that businesses that are in a holding company have to interact with one another to make the holding company more profitable. And uh, you can't have someone whistleblowing another company, whether it's true or not, right? That, that defeats the purpose. So when when you follow the money, things things start to make a lot more sense and you realize it's, it's not everything is business, but everything is, is owned by a business. There's business in everything. There's ownership in everything. So the only things that I can tell you that I uh, am proud of to learn from AP English is to unapologetically, if you want to do so, smoke cigarettes. For me, it's Zin or, <laughs> um, so that that's lesson one is, is be yourself unapologetically and do what makes you happy because society is not your boss. Uh, think for yourself. And then number two is follow the money. And, the more you care about what you think versus what other people think for you, you create your own money trail. You create your own path. And when you follow your own path, for people like me, for people like that you, like you, if you're listening, um, it is, it is what would make the founding fathers happy. We were an entrepreneurial nation at the start. Most of the economy was entrepreneurs, small businesses. So create your own trail, follow your own money. Now that I'm a fractional chief marketing officer, I write my own money trail by helping business owners I know, like, and trust become more profitable. So the point of this episode is to follow your dreams, your gut, and most importantly, follow your own money script to be free. Write your own path towards freedom. Um, I'm not interested in being a CMO of a publicly held company. I'm interested in helping privately held businesses because my core values are to be as productive as possible. It makes me feel really, really, really good to achieve um, financial freedom for myself, but mostly for others, for, for clients. That mutual satisfaction of cooperation and making the world a better place insofar as I can, my local community, my business, my friends, my family, that sphere, making it as, as beautiful and healthy and successful as possible is my mission. And if I never learned to follow the money, I would never have this clarity of thought that my job is to be a, a fractional chief marketing officer, a business coach in some ways, uh, someone to help other businesses make it rain through messaging and marketing. So follow your dreams, your gut, and most importantly, follow your own money to be free. As always, if you found this episode to be worthwhile, I love to create this this show. Share it with a friend. And if you didn't like it and you listened this far, tell me what you didn't like and I'll do my best to keep improving. I want to create something that's lasting and enduring, the market finds valuable. But my main mission is to create something that gives value to what I can consider the footprint of my life so thanks for listening everyone thunderstock marketing out